Truth Jihad Radio is 100% crowdfunded and therefore fearless and independent. Please help us stay that way. You can subscribe at my Substack. That's kevinbarrett.substack.com. Or you could send a one-time PayPal donation to... These are important questions. I understand that. Highest moment the last eight years. Hmm. Highest moment the last eight years. Well, I think that the most important, the most compelling was uh, was 9-11 itself. Welcome to the special live weekend edition of Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett. I've been doing this show since 2006, and no plans to stop anytime soon. Bringing on interesting folks, most of them good writers. I have a penchant for talking to good writers, uh, talking about the most important issues that aren't being sufficiently attended to or correctly interpreted in the mainstream. Tonight we have a bit of a debate on RFK Jr., it's not the kind of debate that you would hear in the mainstream. Is RFK Jr. a crazy conspiracy theorist or an evil anti-vaxxer who's killed millions? No, nothing like that. It's more like he's obviously a pretty attractive candidate, as American presidential candidates go, to say the least. But did he make a mistake by running as a Democrat? Sure, there's a slightly better chance to win that way, like 0.1% instead of 0.001%. But didn't he have to sign some kind of a pledge to support the eventual Democratic nominee? And might that not end up being Joe Biden? Or possibly somebody no better? <laughs> so, uh, Kat McGuire in the second hour is going to argue, yeah, we better watch out. It could be another sheepdogging operation, sort of like Bernie Sanders ran, bringing people back into the Democratic fold, or at least trying to. Not that that would work on me. But the uh, that's the second hour. The first hour will be a conversation with A.J. Smiskowitz. He's coming on Truth She Had Radio for the first time ever. And he's he's a very good writer. I probably should have had him on a long time ago. His new piece, Why I'm for Kennedy, got plenty of traffic at the UNS Review, UNZ.com. So without further ado, let's talk about it. Welcome, A.J. How are you? Uh, thanks. Uh, fine. Thanks for having me on your show. Okay. Well, good to have you. Yeah, I like mm. your stuff. You know, I find... Hardly, like I told you in the email, I find very little to disagree with in your writing, and that's actually kind of unusual. I, I usually could find something that is, you know, I would interpret something a totally different way. I suppose if we talked about religion, we could probably get some real disagreement, but it's really your, your RFK Jr. piece, like many of your other pieces, is spot on. So tell tell us why you find RFK Jr., uh, well, worth supporting. <clears throat> Well, I will, but first I'd like to comment on your introduction there. Uh, uh, Kennedy himself answered your question in that I believe it was the interview he did with uh, Crystal Ball and uh, that uh, cigar. Mm -hmm. um, they asked, she asked him that. She said, if you are not the nominee, will you uh, promise to support Biden? And he flat out said, I can never support anyone who supports the uh, Ukraine war. And then she asked him, would you support Trump? And he actually was a little bit more hesitant on that. His answer was like, well, I don't see that at this time. 
And then she asked him, if you don't get the nomination, will you run third party? And he just kind of gave the uh, answer that a lot of candidates give. I intend to be the Democrat nominee, he said. So I thought those three answers were kind of interesting. Yeah, and that actually kind of torpedoes Cat's whole critique that he would likely be <laughs> shipped on. Well, I mean, I just saw that that was a that interview is getting a lot of uh, publicity too, because uh, you know he he get he got some tough questions from uh, uh, Crystal Ball. Yeah, I and, haven't seen that uh, one yet, uh, as you might have, and may have he, guessed. And he handled you know on the vaccine, on his on his idea about vaccines, on the war. On Trump and Biden, and um, and he and climate change. Uh, for example, I know a lot of um, conservatives. Well, you may not like him because uh, he is a he is a strong believer in the uh, urgency of addressing climate change, which I myself am skeptical about. But he answered in that. He said he's not. When she asked him about that, he said, "I'm not making that the focus of my campaign because." He said, I admit what I know about that. I'm depending on other experts. Um, so he's so, you know, he, he cannot. In, in other words, he cannot argue from the point of being an expert himself on climate change. He's relying on others, whereas like with vaccines, with air and water pollution, you know, real pollution, not carbon dioxide, which is not a pollution at all. But um, he's. His, his career as, a, as an attorney, he has become an expert a sci- uh, studying the scientific literature on air and water pollution uh, and also on the, the vaccines and drugs, pharmaceuticals. So he he is making that uh, more of a centerpiece of his campaign. And uh, and he also mentioned that climate change, that's, that's become a very divisive issue. And he's trying to bring the right and left together, uh, which... I think is also an attractive part of his campaign. But the reason, but the answer to your original question of why I'm attracted to him, sort of be in the same way, I, the same reason I was attracted to Trump in 2016, he's anti-establishment. And I think this country, uh, United States, has become so corrupt and so decadent in so many ways that I've just about given up on the political system. I, I didn't even intend to vote anymore because it seems like no matter who gets in, they're just pushing the same government, corporate, establishment bullcrap. Now, Trump was an anti-establishment candidate, so I was attracted to him. But when you look at Kennedy, he's even more anti-establishment. And the difference between him and Trump is he's more articulate about it. He's more intellectual well, he's, well, he's about smarter. it. He's smarter. <laughs> he's smarter, obviously. He's uh, Trump is, you know... For, you know, for example, the, when they asked him about the Ukraine war, Kennedy will give you a detailed, deep answer about how the United States provoked the war with the coup in 2014, uh, with NATO expansion. Uh, you know, basically, they installed a, an anti-Russia government in that country, and then and then that government proceeded to persecute the the Russian. Uh, the Russian ethnic people who were in the eastern part of Ukraine. So the war was far from being unprovoked. It was very provoked. And and whereas when they asked Trump about that, he says, who never would have done that if I was president? That's like that's just a, a declaration, but it shows no depth of understanding. And 
the reason why depth of understanding is important is because that will prevent Kennedy from getting rolled by the deep state establishment if he were fortunate enough to become president. He, they would come to him with things like uh, sending money to Ukraine or, uh, you know, uh, uh, the vaccine, the COVID lockdowns. Trump gave with all that stuff because he didn't have the depth of understanding to stand up to the neocons around him, to the pharmaceutical lobbyists around him. Kennedy has the depth of understanding where he would say, no, I know what they're trying to do, and I'm not going to allow it. So he's like an intellectual anti-establishment person. So that's one, that's like probably the main reason I like him. And he has articulated, he has explained in great, great detail the, uh, the merger of government and corporate power in a very, very articulate way that I've never heard Trump talk about. And that's a, you know, a big threat. And the second part, though, the second part that really attracted me to him was because when I was younger in the 70s, I considered myself an environmentalist. I was very uh, attracted to the environmental, ecological movement. I wanted to uh, protect natural habitats, endangered species, and because I, I love nature. It, it came out of a, a feeling of love and interest, a scientific interest in ecology, animal behavior. I lost interest in the, and I lost support of the environmental cause the last 30 years probably when it turned from that positive, joyful perspective of nature to like this dark doom and gloom uh, end of the world shit of uh, climate change and i can't support that that's a very dark vision of the future and kennedy and has said he wants to get back he wants to return the perspective of environmentalism to love you protect nature because you love nature you don't protect nature because you're afraid of some end of the world thing and i and and he bases that i believe I, I believe he seems to be very religious and very uh, spiritual. I myself, I am not religious, but I do consider myself spiritual. And I just like that perspective. You know, every, every, um, and his, from his perspective, every lo uh, loss of every, of any species is a diminishment of God's greatness. And I think just, I think that's a beautiful way to look at environmental, environmentalism as opposed to trying to scare people. You know, with this climate change stuff. So, yeah, those are the two main things. Yeah, those are really uh, good observations. I hadn't really seen anybody else lead with the environmental side of it before you, but I think you you nailed it. That he's a sane environmentalist and a, a spiritual yeah. environmentalist. Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of returning me to where I was as a as a young man, uh, and I I would love to get back to that point where I I could enthusiastically enthusiastically support an environmental cause if it's a real environmental cause not what i see as a phony or a propaganda a, a, a propaganda type environmental cause well you have to wonder about the global warming alarmists who fly to conferences all over the world on global warming in their private jets you know there was just that research project or something that compared private jet emissions to commercial flights and it was just not even close like you, the private jets in the uk are the equivalent of like i forget how many hundreds well, of thousands of flights from hong kong or something on commercial 
Yeah, well, unfortunately, you know, I have a background in science. I have a degree in biology. Um, before I started working as a as a writer uh, 30 years ago, I, I worked as a biologist, and it was kind of in an environmental fields. I worked as a naturalist at some local forest preserve districts, and then I worked as a, uh, uh, a zooplankton analyst for a, a company under contract to the U.S. EPA in Chicago. And... Um, those are real, you know, those, that's, that's like real stuff, you know, like being a naturalist, you're, you're educating people about nature. Uh, the job I had with the EPA company that was, you know, monitoring the health of the Great Lakes. We would uh, go out on cruises, collect water samples, uh, analyze the zooplankton, the phytoplankton, and that would give us hard scientific data about the health of the Great Lakes. That's like real stuff, you know? And, uh, and unfortunately, like it seems to me like in the last 20, 30 years, it's become like a big business like everything else in this country. It becomes a big business, and then it becomes corrupted. And then your, your uh, you know, it all becomes, it just becomes about, I mean, it, that's become a very profitable enterprise, I believe. You know, the, the green energy thing. It's become very profitable. Uh, I think I don't think Al Gore is a poor man, you know. And it just, it, to, from my perspective, it makes it, uh, you know, it makes me cynical about it. And then, like you said, you see these people flying around in these jets, and they don't even really believe it. And all of this, all of this, uh, these green energy goals. I think Kennedy himself has said, you know, they're the, the concept is worthy, but. They're not the people who talk about these things aren't don't even really believe what they're saying because they're really not interested in protecting the environment or even doing something about climate change. They're interested. They have become they have developed a big industry. The green industry is a very big industry now, and then that that gets tied in with the whole globalism agenda, and we want to push this. In all the countries of the world, we want to push the green energy in Africa, where they, you know, they have enough problems of their own without getting rid of fertilizer and shit like that, like they're talking about. And so it does become very corrupt, and about it has to do with profit, like so much else of the American economy, and the the the, uh, the real goals about environmentalism are really, I think, they're secondary to all. To everything else, and that's why these people don't think anything about being hypocrites flying around in their jets because, you know, they know it's just a joke. They don't even take it serious seriously themselves. I don't think it, it does look like that. Well, I, I think RFK Jr. is right on with his uh, statement that everything he thinks about so-called climate change and carbon-driven global warming comes from other experts because he hasn't been able to do the research on that himself. And I think and that makes sense. because It's so uh, complicated. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's so much more complicated than so many of these other subjects, whether it's you know Building 7 or even a lot of things about vaccines, a lot of things about COVID. You know, people like you and me could actually look at what's out there in the scientific literature and come to an informed conclusion that would differ quite a bit from the mainstream. 
And, you know, we could go on and on about all the issues where you, you can do that, where you don't need to be a Ph.D. scientist who's worked on the field for years and years and years before you can come to grips with it. With this climate science is just so complicated with all of the feedback loops. And that complexity, you know, leads to a situation where it makes me wonder whether even the so-called experts really have a grip on what's going on. But in any case, Kennedy's right. We do have to figure out sort of who's probably telling the truth or who's probably got the better uh, information. Uh, and when I've done that, it's I, I end up being kind of a, um, I don't know, an agnostic, uh, leaning towards the likelihood that there's some truth to the global warming alarmism. Um, part of that is because people I respect take that view, whether it's uh, the the real super alarmists like uh, the people I respect, like David Ray Griffin and Gideon Paglia, who are both uh, hardcore dissidents telling the truth as they see it and have taken a lot of flack for it. And they're both, they both think that it's at least as bad as the uh, experts tell us, the so-called expert consensus. And then others like Lynn Margulis, uh, who was the greatest biological scientist yeah, of the right. century. She came on this radio show several times and she and her son, Dorian Sagan, who's also been on the show, uh, and other pretty smart scientific folks I've had on, tend to think, most of them tend to think that it's likely a real problem. You know, it isn't so much the problem as having a lot of carbon and a lot of heat, because the planet will actually have a lot more thriving life when that happens. The problem, in, in the past it has, most of the past uh, history of life has been hotter and wetter with more carbon and more thriving life than we have now. We're actually dangerously low yeah. on carbon, dangerously cold. And the next ice age could wipe out all of life on Earth if it drops below like 170 parts per million or whatever it is. So uh, it's not like carbon is bad. It's not like the warming is bad. The issue is that we humans are pumping so much carbon into the atmosphere so fast. That's never happened. In the past, it was always a much more gradual process. And probably the carbon wasn't even the lead factor. Probably it was the sun site. You know, the sun gets a little closer, a little hotter, or rather. And uh, then the, that actually creates a feedback loop where the heat... Uh, I think yeah. I I just believe that's human arrogance. The idea that we are so powerful that we could we could have such a drastic effect on the planet. I mean, another thing that bugs me is this idea. Maybe this came from the astronauts. I think they may have started this with the Apollo program. The idea of Earth as a fragile planet. I don't believe it's fragile at all. Look at the four billion year history of this planet, the uh, the in, incredible catastrophes that it has gone through uh, with asteroid impacts, vol volcanic eruptions. I mean, massive continental drift changes. You I say mean, some of these people whose psyches are fragile, not the Earth. Well, probably, but the Earth is not a fragile planet. It, it, it's adaptable. Life. The one thing about biology. It could survive anything. Just look at weeds. <laughs> look at cockroaches. Look at mosquitoes, uh, starlings, Don't rats. Mosquitoes. Uh, it, I mean, life <laughs> always finds a way to survive. So there's no question at all about us destroying the planet and wiping out life. Life will find a way to survive. What happens when major catastrophes happen, especially rapidly, some species go extinct, and then over time other species evolve. Could humans ever go extinct? I, I, I just don't think so because we are the most adaptable of species. There's always a way to adapt to, to, to change. I think that's what uh, the positive aspects of the green 
energy movement, the alternative fuels, you know, the, the hydrogen, the wind, the solar, uh, conservatives knock those. But I think they're good to, to keep developing. I mean, this is how we adapt. Uh, fossil fuels are not going to last forever. I think I, I believe the estimates are 200, 300 years for uh, coal and uh, petroleum products and in some estimates, as I recall, I mean, but they will eventually, they will eventually be depleted, and we will find other energy sources. Uh, I don't think it, it, it. I don't even. I don't think the the rapidity of the change uh, is is relevant because we're already adapting to to the change. Uh, we will adapt to changing growth patterns of agriculture uh, further north. Uh, I, I just, I, I guess maybe it's just my personal opinion, but I believe the human species is adaptable to anything. And I certainly believe that uh, the earth, I know for a fact, just from looking at geological history, the earth will adapt to anything. There's, there's, we're going to have life on this planet in one form or another for 4 billion years until the earth swells up into a red giant and incinerates the planet. So maybe what I, I really don't understand the alarmism other than is it because of an economic impact? There, there might be a serious economic impact in some countries. Um, yeah. I, uh, oh, I, I, I really don't understand the alarm. Well, I, I can sort of paraphrase those people since I've interviewed uh, David Ray Griffin and Gijin Paya on this. And they point to these specific effects of the warming that uh, will, for instance, melt the Himalayan glaciers and not replace them. And the Indian subcontinent, which is quite heavily populated, is totally dependent on that for water. And where are they going to go? Then there's the possibility, a fairly strong one, of oceans rising. It may take a while. It may take half a century or a century. And then Bangladesh disappears. Where are those people going to go? And the uh, oceans are becoming more uh, acidic due to the, the carbon. And that could greatly reduce the amount of biomass that is the the life in the oceans and a lot of people are dependent on that and and we could go on and on but there are all of these kinds of specific yeah, so impacts there'll, so there'll be some there'll be some economic uh, societal changes that will happen surely but i but the, there's not going to be any like end of species uh, threat people will society will adapt you know like anything else there's going this might sound harsh, but I, there's going to be winners, there's going to be losers, <laughs> yeah. whether it's species or human societies. I, I just don't understand. Well, if you're in Bangladesh, alarm. though, if you're if you're sitting in Bangladesh and you're going to be an underwater loser in a hundred years, you know, you might say, yeah. Well, the the, the 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 same people who are talking about uh, you know the rising ocean levels, like you're talking about with the airplanes. Uh, Buying on the the airplanes. These are these are the same people who are buying the oceanfront property. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. So, I'm, uh, I'm not holding my breath till the ocean. And I've been hearing Florida. this stuff for decades. You know, look at what Al Gore was predicting 30 years ago. He, he was he was laying uh, he was laying uh, deadlines for various events to happen that we were well past the dates that he mentioned, and none of it happened. I just. I just believe a lot of it is exaggerated. Yeah, well, that's a doomsday thing I, in general, isn't it? The doomsayers often tend to be wrong. I, I, I believe so. I, I, and it, it just, to me, it's, it seems like it's become a religion. And it's like a type of fundamentalist Christian religion. 
the fire and brimstone, you know, do you have to obey what we tell you or you're going to go to hell. It's really, this is a, a religion for these people. And, what, and what's weird is they, and, they don't they, follow it, though. They don't actually do anything. The people I know who are su- claim to be super yeah, well, it's like, depressed it's like, about it's it. Like the, the, it's like the pedophile priest, right? Yeah. I mean, talk to you about sexual morality, and they're screwing the altar board. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, you made some comment about religion. I'm not sure where you were going with it, yeah, but I, I'm very yeah, I'm, 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 I'm a practicing organized religion. I'm a five times a day praying Muslim, so there we could probably, you know, Although the reason I like Islam is, is I hate organized religion. <laughs> Muslims can't organize type, much of anything, type, which is why, yeah. we, you know, we couldn't have done 9-11, <laughs> among other things. <laughs> the type of religion I've been most attracted to is the, uh, you know, the American Indian religion. The, uh, Indian, the religion based on nature. That's, uh, to me, my God, uh, I believe nature is God. I believe, I believe if you look at nature as, as, as the divine you have you will have the respect for nature. You you will want to preserve species and protect natural habitats. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I I that's where I get my spiritual feelings from when I go for a walk in the woods or look up at the stars. That's where I see God. I was raised as a Catholic. I never saw God in a church. I never felt God in a church. Uh, well, you should go into one of those cathedrals it, 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 over in Europe. They they they're better at that. Yeah, I suppose. But, but, yeah, no, uh, I, Kennedy apparently getting back to Kennedy, he he must be a very religious Catholic because I noticed when he does interviews from his home, uh, he has crucifixes hanging up, or several crucifixes hanging on his bookshelves. So I'm assuming that's where he bases a lot of his uh, his uh, environmental spiritualism from. It must be rooted in Catholicism, yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I. I... He's he's probably kind of you know halfway between a really you know more strict or traditional Catholicism like uh, like my false flag weekly news uh, uh, partner uh, E Michael Jones uh, and and sort of where you're at with the Native American great spirit uh, universal thing and I, I would actually he's done a lot yeah, of work yeah 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 I'd, I he's done a lot too, of work as, hmm. as as a lawyer he did a lot of work for I forget which Indian tribe it was but he did a lot of work for them for uh, protecting. Uh, most of his environmental work, as I understand it, it has been focused on real concrete things like, you know, clean water, clean uh, land rights, American Indian land rights, things like that. I mean, that's that's another thing I find attractive about him. Those are like real things you could sink your teeth into. They're not some vague, um, vague uh, possible ocean rising type of deal. And I, I, I so. When he talks about environmentalism, environmentalism, it's it's based on real things that he has accomplished, and it's and it's kind of sad to me that more people on the left, who the people who proclaim to want to protect the environment, are not supporting him because he's 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 been in the trenches, he's done the real work on behalf of real people, as as an environmental attorney. That I would think they would support that. Well, a lot of them, a lot of them say things like, "I've heard even family members say, I used to like him when he was out there saving the clean water, but then when he turned into an anti-vaxer, you know, that that's that's when I lost him." And you know, of course, those are the same people. I would argue have a very uh, inadequate understanding of the vaccine issue, and in it, RFK Jr.'s take on that is actually 
pretty moderate, right? I mean, I don't think anti-vaxxers. He's not against vaccines. He's he's not against vaccines. He has often said he's for he wants safe vaccines. He's not against vaccines. In fact, he said I think he said all of his kids are fully vaccinated, and he was he himself was fully vaccinated. But I might have been an agnostic on that issue too until this COVID stuff happened, and that you know, with my biology background, I know great biologist or anything, but I have enough education to understand events that are happening on that are related to biology. And, and right from the beginning, I was suspicious of all of that COVID stuff. I, I, I think the virus itself was exaggerated, once again, similar to climate, I guess. Uh, uh, the threat of it, I never believed the, the death statistics. I think they were exaggerated. And uh, and the masks, I knew for a fact the masks were useless. I mean, yeah. I I was I used to work with uh, uh, particulate chemicals and uh, microorganisms in the lab. I had to wear a full. I couldn't. I had a, I, you know, normally have a beard. I had to shave my beard at the time to get the uh, so that it was a full face mask. You needed perfect perfect uh, skin seal around your face. You had to have these HEPA filters. To breathe through. I mean, that's if you're serious about inhaling uh, particulates. That's the type of thing you need. You don't. You're not going to protect yourself wearing a face diaper. Yeah. That was a scam. And Absolutely. then the development. This is another. This is one of the main things I fault Trump for was pushing for those vaccines so rapidly, so quickly. You can't. You can't make a vaccine that fast. It takes years, sometimes decades, to do the the safety and efficacy studies, um, and that was pushed through too fast, and I was just not going to have any faith in that. I wasn't going to allow them to inject that into me, and that cost me a job because uh, Biden then, you know, Trump, Trump pushed through the vaccine, right? But then Biden had the mandate, and it applied to any organization that had 100 or more employees at the time. And at that time, I was working as a part-time uh, freelance writer for uh, a university in Missouri called A.T. Still University. I'll say their name. I didn't want to used to say their name before when I told the story, but I'll say All it. All right. Now. You heard it here first, AT, folks. A.T. Still University. And then they let me know that because of Biden's mandate, I would be required to get a vaccine. Huh. Well, that's interesting, considering the fact that this was a 100% work-at-home job. I mean, I'm here in Lockport, Illinois. They're in two campuses, one's in Missouri, one's in Arizona, and I had to get a vaccine to protect who exactly? I would never have contact with any of those people. that's completely insane. And so they said, well, that's the rule. This is what government's making us do this. And and they told me I... I, uh, I, I cannot keep my job if I don't get the vaccine. Well, what kind of and proof were they I, demanding? Do they want to see a card or something or what? I suppose so. You must, you must, I never got a vaccine, so I don't know what you got. You must have got some type of uh, evidence to prove it, right? Well, I, anyway, I have, fr- I have I, friends who run around with these uh, vaccine cards that they've obtained from who knows what sources that are kind of like fill in the blanks yeah. yourself if you want to. But anyway, I wrote a letter to them uh, uh, explaining my reasons for not getting a vaccine, and I made sure to point out to them A.T. Still University. That was founded by a man named Andrew Taylor Still, 
He's the father of osteopathic medicine. He was he 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 was vehemently opposed to vaccines. I mean, he founded this university in the 1890s. He was vehemently opposed to vaccines. In fact, he had uh, a quote. I forget the exact wording of it, but it was something like, "Do I think there should be uh, a penalty?" for people who don't get vaccines? And his answer was no. I think there should be a penalty for people who force other people to get vaccines. And he himself said that. Now their university has his name on it, huh? And they're firing me for not getting a vaccine. So that was a bit of irony. I'll say, yeah. Well, you know, speaking speaking of osteopathic medicine, uh, Dr. Rashid Buttar, uh, who just died uh, rather unexpectedly and suspiciously last week, was uh, was an osteopath who was... uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's another example, frankly, of American corruption uh, and decadence, because when A.T. still founded osteopathic medicine, he founded it as a medicine, uh, a form of medicine to counter allopathic medicine or traditional MD medicine. He did not believe in drugs. He did not believe in vaccines, A.T. still. He believed in uh, the natural ability of the body to heal itself. And he promoted this healing through, uh, you know, a type of massage. Uh, 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 if you manipulate the right parts of the body, you will, you will, uh, you will uh, invigorate the flow of the cerebral spinal fluid, and that has a healing property. Now, I don't know if I believe in all that, but that's what he believed in, and and it would, and it was basically find a way, uh, a holistic form of medicine to try to encourage. The, the natural healing properties of the body, which, of course, the body has, and the immune system. Uh, now, in America, that it was founded in America, in Missouri. Now, over the decades, that all got corrupted. It turned into allopathic medicine. A DO today is the exact same thing as an MD. I used to have a DO. I had a fractured arm and some other bone problems one time. He didn't even touch me. Uh, he just prescribed drugs, uh, and uh, so that that's, so that medicine has been perverted in the United States. Whereas in Canada, I have a good friend who's an osteopathic practitioner in Canada. In Canada, and also in Europe, they still maintain AT Still's original concept of osteopathy. Um, so the university you're country, writing for is is an osteopathic university, right? I mean, that's what they're teaching. In name only, in name only. Um, all, all osteopathic institutions in this country, they're the exact same thing as MD schools now. They, they just push drugs, uh, uh, not to mention the, all this woke. Uh, I mean, a lot of the stuff I had to write for them, it was like diversity, inclusion, equity. I mean, this is what they're teaching people in medical school. Well, that's a new not religion. You talk about climate a... change. I think, I think this DEI. That's another, is that's another form of the secular religion, I guess. But it just shows you the power of the pharmaceutical companies. One of, of course, Kennedy's main points. They have co- totally corrupted osteopath- osteopathy in this country. It's just another drug pushing business. Like when, everything else, and one of them I mean, gets out of line. Who made money off of? Who made money off of the off of that COVID pandemic? I mean, people made a lot of people made a lot of money out of it. There was tons of money. Of just course, like yeah. The, yeah. Uh, that's that's the key point of Kennedy's of Kennedy's campaign that I I've never heard any other political figure talk like he does so clearly, 
so clearly and in detail about the merger of government and corporate power, and you see it in everything. The pharmaceutical companies pushing all this stuff. You see it in the military-industrial complex. All these billions of dollars we're sending to Ukraine, they're going to lose anyway. They're obviously going to lose. I mean, Russia's not, this is an existential threat for Russia, having uh, a hostile power right on its border. Of course, Russia's going to win. Um, And uh, you see it with the big tech companies, the censorship. I mean, what what part of, for conservatives who still believe in corporate America, what part of corporate America is conservative in a traditional sense? I don't see any any large institution in this country anymore that is that stands for freedom, you know, traditional American values, free speech. Uh, they're all they've all become these globalist monsters. They're they're just pushing the. I mean, it's it's not conservative or liberal anymore. I hate when people still talk about are you conservative or liberal? Are you on the right or the left? Those are irrelevant labels now. Nowadays, it's. Regular people versus the elite. That's all it is. And they're screwing people on the the elite is screwing people on the left as much as the right. Yeah. One of my favorite comedians is uh, he's a guy on the left called Lee Camp. Oh yeah, he's. Great. I mean, they've thrown him. Yeah, he's very funny. He's a very very funny guy. I don't I don't agree with a lot of his stuff because he's very far on the left, but he's funny and he's been deplatformed from all these social media sites. His shows have been canceled. Just as much as uh, Alex Jones. So it's not like they're only targeting the right. They're targeting the left, too, because these people in power, they're not about the left or the right. They're about themselves only. They're about themselves and pushing this globalist agenda, accumulating the power. So like the left and the right, regular people on the left and the right, regular poor people and middle class people need to put aside their differences and get together and and fight against these people on top because that's what it is the top versus the bottom not the left versus the right and i wish more people would understand that and i think the best person to explain that is kennedy yeah i agree you, know, so do you, do you, think, you think the republicans uh since trump are starting to wake up to the fact that the corporations are as big a problem as the government well i would hope so i would hope so but you still see here some of these talking heads um uh, you know, the free market. Well, Kennedy makes a point. I've heard him say in interviews, there is no real free market anymore. You know, everything's kind of a monopoly now. Yeah. You have a handful of these drug companies, a handful of these defense contractors, handful a handful of social of media, these so- yeah. Yeah. social media companies. There's no real free market anymore. So yeah. there's no real capitalism anymore. Then it's it's like this weird amalgamation of corporations and government. I mean, Eisenhower talked about it 60 years ago with the military industrial, but now you see it with, with the media and, um, and with uh, the pharmaceutical, see with educational institutions, uh, financial institutions. I mean, it's really, it's really so damn depressing. That's why I, I pretty much gave up on this country and politics until I heard what Kennedy's saying. And ah. Frankly, I don't think he could. I don't think he has much of a chance of winning, because uh, you know this, the 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 powerful forces are too powerful. But I'm going to support him anyway because I never heard anyone talk like that, and 
and he has the intellectual power that Trump lacks. So what the hell? I'm going to support the guy and see where it goes. You know? Yeah, that's that's exactly how I feel. That's one reason when I, I read your article, as I said, I kind of said, yeah, hey, I couldn't have said this better myself. It's, uh, in fact, was, I couldn't say it that well. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think you totally nailed that. And the, you know, I mean, it's hard to say for sure that he doesn't have a chance, given that name recognition. His polling numbers are really good for going after an incumbent president. They kind of shot up from like 12 to 20 percent pretty fast. I saw that, yeah. And plus the campaign really hasn't really started yet. Yep. Uh, well, I would hope that if he does not get the nomination, which, you know, if he doesn't, I, I honestly would hope he would run third party. Yeah. Yeah, he and Tucker Carlson uh, would, would be an interesting ticket, wouldn't they? Like if Tucker was the I, I vice presidential candidate. I thought about that too because he. I saw an interview with Kennedy where he said years ago he used to hate Tucker Carlson. Uh, he was like the enemy to him. You know, back I, I think Kennedy's views have evolved a bit over the years. And Tucker's uh, too. Where he used to be really hardcore left, and he's more like uh, he's more like a uniter now as opposed to being hardcore left because he's. He, he he came to see the value of Carlson. Carl, what was Carlson? Was he left or right? I mean, people say he was right, but when he was, when I used to love his monologues. I would learn things from him. A lot of his things are like classical liberal. You know, people. If you're younger than me, I mean, I'm 63. If you're younger, if you're in your 40s or 30s, you don't even know what a real liberal is. A real classical liberal, like John Kennedy, Robert Kennedy Sr. They. They they were, you know, for the regular people. They really were. Democrat Party used to be the party of the regular people. And now they're, what, Hollywood elite and corporate elite? And that's what I liked about Carlson. He would talk to regular people, I think. He would put things in that perspective. And I think uh, that's where Kennedy realized that, hey, he's actually more of a traditional liberal than, you know, Nancy Pelosi or you know, the, the traditional I mean, the people you see nowadays as head of the Democrat Party. He's getting red-pilled now, and he did talk about the you know Kennedy assassination. I guess he went there with the JFK assassination. I don't think he's gone after the RFK assassination yet. But, yeah, I think Tucker Carlson has evolved significantly in the past maybe five to ten years. He was and even talking about good, Building you know, 7, though. That's, uh, you should evolve. You, you, some people get so stuck in, a, in an idea like, you know, Chris Plant. I like Chris Plant generally, but he's around my age, I think. But he he's kind of stuck in the 80s. You know, he keeps when he talks about Putin, he keeps calling him a communist. I mean, have, have you seen that clip that's going around of, of Putin? It was a recent speech he gave. Um, it was on the top of Liberty Daily today. And, uh, yeah, you sent me that clip. It's where where he's talking about the West has kind of gone crazy and oh, I did uh, lost send that their values. To you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean that was an amazing clip. That that could be that you know that could be given by a conservative American politician. I mean, criticizing the you know the uh, the gay agenda, uh, um, the the woke agenda, uh, uh, how the West has become so decadent and they're trying to push this on russia um i mean you don't even hear republicans talk the the, the type of traditional values that putin is talking and putin is not a communist he never really was a communist i read a biography on him he worked within the communist communist apparatus uh, apparatus that's all there was at the time but in this in this new video clip i saw he's criticizing 
he's criticizing the uh, the Soviet Union the way it was in the 20s, how they tried to force this genderless, uh, uh, anti-family uh, agenda. And he so he's looking he's he looked at America and said, "Hey man, we've been there, we've done all this. It ain't going to work for you guys. It's very destructive to society." Yeah, well, well, he's, he's got his spiritual advisor, Tikhon, has this really wonderful book out about the monasteries of the Orthodox Church. Uh, Tikhon is the guy's name. And, yeah, Putin, oh. Putin is far from a communist. He's, he's really overseeing sort of the rebirth of religion in Russia. And, yeah, he's... So I mean, why do he, people like... Uh... So what are people like Chris Plant, Mark Levin, you know, these these uh, right-wingers that are always being held up as great talking heads? Why do they keep saying that? Why do they keep saying Putin's a communist, uh, Russia wants to expand expand westward? I mean, that's all bullshit. None of that is true. They're living in the 80s. Who, 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 came, who, who developed that term I heard? I don't know who, who to credit. Reagan zombie. Have you ever heard that term? No, I Reagan zombie. It's for uh, you know these conser- these modern day conservatives who still argue as if it's the 1980s that we're fighting a cold war with the Soviet Union that all these big corporations are great they're on our side. I mean that's it's like 40 years out of date, man. Open your eyes, see what's going on. That's not the well. It was it was BS the back then too, actually. <laughs> yeah, it probably was. You know, at the time I was too young. I, well, actually in the 80s. It shows you how, uh, you know, you always evolve. I mean, I have evolved. In the 80s, I, um, when I was in my 20s, I, I was flirting with socialism. You know, I think a lot of young people are that way, I guess. But I was, uh, I, was uh, I belonged to the Democrat Socialists of America in the 80s. And then, and then I evolved into, well, no, I'm a, I'm a Democrat. You know, I, I, I voted for Bill Clinton in the first time around. And then I didn't like some of the things he did, so then I evolved to be a, a, a more of a conservative. But now I, I hate a lot of what the conservatives stand for uh, with, with war and, you know, uh, corporate collusion and, uh, frankly, also abortion. I, I believe in abortion rights. So I, I, I'm not a conservative either. So what the hell am I? I don't even know. You know? Uh, that's why I don't worry about those labels. I think you people get hung up on those labels. You're kind of like um, cramping the debate. You know, you're not, you're not allowing for uh, uh, an expansion of the debate to uh, a, a, an, an open mindedness. You know, you have to be remain open minded and look at all sides. Uh, listen, yeah. watch Lee, Lee, Lee Camp, watch, uh, watch, um, Tucker Carlson, uh, Alex Jones, I, you know, uh, uh, and that's another thing I like about Kennedy. He does seem to be, have that possibility, the potential to unite regular folks on the right and the left. If they just let him be heard. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I heard an article. Like media blackout of him, right? And the mainstream yeah. media. Yeah, look, like last month, a couple of months ago, I wrote one of the earliest articles right after he announced that he was running, and I think the headline was something like uh, "Can RFK Jr. Beat the Media?" I pointed out that he's doing, you know, what Trump did, running against the media, basically, because the media is just going right. to bash him. And Trump did it. Now, can RFK Jr. do it? Well, Trump had some advantages. He came out of nowhere. He had the element of surprise, 
RFK Jr., maybe not so much now that the establishment has been panicked by the success of Trump's insurgency. But he also has that magic name. Yeah. I think that name yeah. is still, still has some magic yep. uh, among Democrats. I think he, I saw him a recent interview with him where he said right now most of his, his support seems to be coming equally from Democrats and Republicans. I heard him say, but I think uh, there is a magic to that name. And uh, I know in the, the comments, you know, it's interesting is the comments you get on the Oomph uh, Review site. You know, some, <laughs> yeah, interesting is, is definitely one word you could use. But there's some really hateful comments, too. There are a lot of people who just automatically you know, dismiss the Kennedys as, you know, this corrupt, uh, rich family. Well, some of those commenters um, are trolls and, and things like that. I also think they're they're too young. I mean, if you're below a certain age, you're not going to remember. I was just a kid in the 60s, but, but there's um, there was still some lingering idea about the Kennedys when I became a little older. You know, and then you, you look into it yourself, and uh, I think overall, Robert and John were forces for good. Yeah, I, I agree um, completely. You know, I, I'm about your age. I'm 64, and I had oh. the uh, misfortune of getting waking up to the problem around the JFK assassination when I was still in high school at age 15, I think it was, and that totally blew my mind and alienated me from the larger culture. So I've that's probably oh. the main reason that I've you know led led my life as you know, somebody who's really sharply at odds with uh, the culture ever since then. I could never, you know, it was so frustrating to me that this was just so obviously a coup d'etat. They hardly even bothered to hide it. You know, they have a mafia hitman and bagman, like walk through a sea, miraculously parting red sea yeah. of Dallas police officers to kill yeah, the alleged lone assassin on live television. Give me a break. How stupid can people be? I don't know, but I know uh, RFK Jr., he firmly believes the CIA was behind his uncle's assassination. He said, I heard him say the evidence is not so clear about his father. Well, but, it's, it's uh, not so unclear either. <laughs> Although I yeah. guess maybe that's his way of saying that, you know, the Israeli angle is a little more obvious with his father. I mean, who's going to pick a Palestinian patsy to hypnotize? I mean, come on. Yeah, I know. And, and, and it's really so tragic because you, you, how history would have been different if, say, John would have lived. I think, I think we never would have got involved in Vietnam to the extent. Uh, that we did under Johnson and Nixon. I, I, I think uh, I think Robert himself said that uh, his uncle really wanted to stay out of Vietnam. Uh, and then if RFK would have won in 68, I mean, he was kind of running as a peace candidate, I believe, against an establishment. That's what's so interesting. There are a lot of parallels between RFK running and RFK Jr. running. RFK was... Yeah. He was he was an anti-war candidate running against the Democrat establishment, which at that time was Hubert Humphrey, uh, Johnson's vice president. Well, he, he was actually served. didn't he take on Johnson at first, and then Johnson dropped out like a couple of weeks well, after. I think he Mac wasn't that McCarthy? I believe it was Eugene McCarthy. Oh, maybe maybe yeah, maybe RFK didn't get involved until after Johnson's. Yeah, on. he didn't. It was Eugene McCarthy who, in the early primary state, either came real close or beat Johnson in one of the early primary states. And that's when Johnson announced he wouldn't run again. And then from what I read, RFK was encouraged by that. And that's when he jumped into the race. Yeah. And But everybody was dismissing him until, I believe, the California primary, when he surprisingly won the California primary in June. And that's 
very it was a, that that day or that day or that the very next night day they he killed was killed, him. right? Yep. Yeah, that night. And how history would have been changed if if, if he would have lived, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, there were there were a lot of good things about them. I think. Yeah, I think as you say, the Kennedys were classical liberals, and they had some of the problems classical and mistakes liberals. of that, but also yeah. some of, a great many of the uh, of the virtues that are completely lacking now. And so, yeah, I, I agree. They were also, and I think this is really important. They were sympathetic to the sort of third world nationalism that was challenging the uh, imperial establishment you know these third world nationalists including like the vietnamese they weren't yeah. they weren't such hardcore communists really ho chi minh was mostly a vietnamese nationalist he just didn't want to be owned by some empire he didn't care whether it was the french or the americans or he didn't want the russians well, to run him either yeah and, and the yeah, kennedys well, got that that that's that's another that uh, in one of robert uh junior's speeches he said he, he pointed to a speech i don't recall the speech but I guess I could look it up if I wanted to. A speech that John gave, apparently, at some point uh, soon before he was killed, I believe it was, where he, he gave a speech, President Kennedy specifically gave a speech, about how it is important to try to see the world from your adversary's perspective. You know, don't just think you're right and everyone else is wrong. He, I think he was specifically talking about the Soviet Union, try, try to see things from their perspective. That's that's how I believe he diffused the Cuban Missile Crisis. I mean, we had missiles in Turkey, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, that Russia yeah, viewed I mean, as a secret threat. agreement and, to pull and, those out. Yep. Yeah, I mean, another president might not have done that. Uh, you know, a hot-headed warmonger, but Kennedy did, and I think uh, Junior uh, understands that. And when you look at, um, I was watching some video today. I don't know if it was Colonel McGregor or someone else who was talking about how. Based on the American media, you would think the whole world is with us with Ukraine. You know, we're all with Ukraine. Give all these billions of dollars in weapons to Ukraine. The whole world's with us, according to the media. But that's, he was making the point that that's like maybe 20% of the world, you know, North America and Western Europe. The rest of the world is against us. They view America, um, most 80% of the world, according to this individual, I don't know if it's McGregor or someone else, but 80% of the world views America as the greatest threat to peace and stability. It's not Russia. It's not, um, it's not Iran. It's not some of these other countries we've demonized. It's the United States. We're the country that has, I believe, 800 military bases around the world. We're the country that keeps uh, stoking these coups in this country and that country for for the past many decades, creating instability. We're the country that that uh, that seems to be uh, uh, stoking a much of the chaos in the Middle East. I mean, what was that Iraq War all about? I mean, how that you get rid of uh, a strong man, Saddam Hussein, who was like the only thing. Uh, keeping a lot of the the more radical Islamists under control, and now he's gone. Okay, wonderful. We got rid of him. But look at how, how chaotic that part of the world has become. Well, I, think that was, I think that was deliberate, AJ. I, mean, I, I think that 9-11 and the you know, seven countries in five years, 9-11 wars, were 
deliberately designed to wreck those countries. And I think the beneficiary and indeed the instigator of 9-11 and those wars was Israel and specifically the neocons and their Likudnik friends. Uh, so it was, you know, they, they weren't trying to, to turn Iraq into a prosperous U.S.-style democracy. They were just trying to destroy it. Yeah. Mossad hit squads killed hundreds, if not thousands, of Iraq's intellectual elite. They just don't want, you know, they, they're trying to take Iraq out as a serious threat to Israel for the next hundred years. That's what this war was really about. Well, that makes that makes sense to me also, but uh, the main point I believe. And keep is it short. Sure, we have about thirty seconds, if that. Well, it's the United States that's the main force of chaos in the world, and unless we get someone like Kennedy and who understands that, I believe uh, it's going to be a lot worse. <laughs> okay, here, here again, not much to disagree with in any of this. So, hey, uh, sorry, I can't argue uh, more heatedly with you, AJ Smiskowitz, but you're barking up the right tree consistently. So, keep up the great work. Thanks for the uh, opportunity again. I appreciate it. Okay, yeah, I hope to have you back. Okay, great. It's AJ Smuskowitz back in the second hour with Cat McGuire for a slightly different perspective on RFK Jr. Stick around.